Thank you so much, praise team, this morning, not only for those wonderful readings, but also for leading us in such excellent worship music. We're so very, very grateful. Thank you. I, I wonder if you heard about the Calvinist who was walking down the street one winter, and he slipped on the ice. His feet shot out from underneath him, and he came down on his back in a great big pile. And he picked himself up off of the sidewalk and dusted off his snow that was on his clothes. And he uttered to himself, well, I'm glad that's finally over. Now, it is never a good idea to tell a joke that you have to explain. But I decided the risk was worth it this morning. You see, Calvinists believe that God has foreordained all things whatsoever come to pass. So slipping and falling on the ice for this man was not an accident, but it was in God's plan for his life. Therefore, when it happened, he was glad that that plan, that part of the plan, was finally over. Now you can laugh if you want to, all right? (laughs) You know, regardless of our theological persuasion this morning, all of us can agree with this great and perceptive statement by John Calvin himself. This is what he said. When once the light of divine providence has illumined the believer's soul, he is relieved and set free not only from the extreme fear and anxiety that formerly oppressed him, but from all care. For as he justly shudders at the idea of chance, so he can confidently commit himself to God. There is no such thing as chance for the child of God, is there? I never say good luck to anyone ever. Best wishes, yes. Good luck, never. Because there is no such thing as luck for the people of God. Now this morning, as we continue our studies in the book of Ruth, we are coming to chapter 2. And as we come to chapter 2, The whole focus and attention of God in this new chapter is on how God directs His people's steps by His providence. You are in this story if you know Christ. I am in this story if I know Christ. There is no such thing as luck for us. It is the hand of a gracious God directing us by His providential care. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ruth chapter 2. And I want to read for us verses 1 through 13 as we come to God's Word this morning. In the Bible under the chair in front of you, it is page 413. Please turn there together with me while I read for us the first 13 verses of this absolutely amazing, amazing chapter. Here's what God says. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, 
a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, She found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, just then, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. How many would love to have this man for your boss? Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter, in the heat of the day. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me and I'm a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. The mighty and wonderful providence of God. How does God work through His providence? Well, let's look at this story, shall we? And, and let's see. First of all, we discover that God's providence directs circumstances. We're told in verse 3 that as Ruth goes out to glean in the fields, as it turned out, she found herself in the field belonging to this man named Boaz. Now, if we could look very closely at the original text, we would discover this phrase, as it turned out, actually is the Hebrew word for chance. In fact, it is doubled here so that literally it says, her chance chanced. Her chance chanced to enter into the field owned by Boaz. In modern idiom, the text would literally read, by a stroke of luck. 
Now, we ought to be erupting with laughter at this point in the text. Do you ever find humor in the Bible? This is a place where we ought to be erupting with laughter. Because we know that the author, possibly Samuel, does not believe in luck. He is using irony. Irony is actually saying the opposite of uh, what you mean. So he's pulling our leg when he says, by a stroke of luck, he wants us to say, yeah, right, tell me another funny one. That's the reaction that we ought to have. Because we know what happened is, God providentially directed Ruth's steps to the precise field where she would meet this man named Boaz. Now, if we think that this was just something very easy that could have happened accidentally, uh, the fields in Israel were sort of like a, uh, a patchwork, like a quilt pattern. And a landowner would often own several fields, but they would be uh, disconnected from one another. Therefore, to wander accidentally onto the correct field was highly, highly improbable. It is absolutely clear here that God ordered the circumstances of Ruth so she would end up exactly where he wanted her. By the way, did you notice? Ruth has no idea what's going on, does she? She has no knowledge or idea what is going on. Usually, the child of God cannot detect the providence of God until you look back and see how God has worked. Once in a while, once in a while, we immediately can detect the providence of the Lord. Uh, Years ago, I was on my way to an elder meeting at a bakery over in Harvey at 6 a.m. in the morning. And uh, as I drove uh, in the pitch darkness, on the way to that elder meeting, just before the cut rock, a deer flashed in front of me, missing me just by seconds. Uh, Some of you elders who were at that meeting, you may remember me sharing that. The deer was so close to me that in pitch black, I could see him flash in front of me that morning. Had I left my home just a few seconds earlier? Or had that deer jumped out onto the road just a few seconds earlier, we would have had an accident and very possibly uh, a great deal of damage. And it was one of those times in my life when I felt the providential hand of God had been on me to protect me from the harm that could have come. Most of the time, we do not know God is working. May I say to us this morning, that is why we should never become bitter or lose heart. Never. Because God may be ordering our circumstances in a way that we cannot see right now, but one day we will see. Is this not the teaching of God's Word this morning? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. 
Secondly, God's providence also directs people. As we come to verse 4, we see just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Now, this expression, just then, is um, a particle of exclamation or surprise in the original language. It literally means, look, surprise, behold, what wonder. And what we are being told in verse 4 is essentially this, wouldn't you know it, Boaz shows up right on time. Now as we read, Ruth had been working that morning in the fields for a few hours, and of all the fields that Boaz owned and that he could have inspected, he shows up in her field on the first day that she's working. Now let me just ask you this morning, wealthy landowners with trusted land with trusted foremen did not likely visit every field they owned every day. That's just not uh, what would have taken place. So it becomes very, very clear here that now God in His providence is directing a man to where He wants that man to be so that in God's purposes, what He wants to have accomplished will take place. Do you know what uh, Proverbs 16.33 says? It says, The dice are thrown into the lap, but their every decision is of the Lord. Have you ever read that before? We cannot even throw the dice, and in that day, people would throw the dice to try to find some direction in their life. That was what pagans did. But God is saying this, you can't even draw lots without God's hand in some way being involved in the outcome. Now watch what's happening here. God directed the circumstances to the right field. Now he directs the right person on the right day to the right field at the right time. How amazing and wonderful is the providence of God. Let me just say to all of us this morning, be very careful about giving up on God. Be very careful about giving up on God. He may just be sending someone your way. Right? How many of us today in our lives have had a point where we felt like giving up on God? What a foolish thing for us to do because God in His providence may just be sending someone our way if we will continue to wait upon Him. Third lesson in this story. Third lesson is that God's providence directs blessing. I want you to turn and look down with me at verse 12, which uh, Brother Jim read as we opened our service. And listen, at the end of this opening encounter in the chapter, what Boaz says to Ruth. He says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. 
May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Those two phrases, repay and richly reward, literally mean to repay someone their wages for their work. And God wants us to understand this so much that twice He uses the very same terminology. That God repays a person like wages are paid for their work. Now, think about what an amazing, amazing thing this is. God is saying that He rewards us in this life and in the next life for what we have done for Him. By His providence, He directs blessings our way because He sees who we are and He sees what it is that we are doing. Proverbs 19.17 says this, He who lends to the poor gives to God and he will be rewarded for what he has done. Think about what God is saying in Proverbs 19.17. He who gives to the poor, says God, is lending to the Lord and therefore that person will be repaid for what they have done done. True or false, God is no man's debtor. True or false? True or false, God is no man's debtor. That is absolutely true. And He repays people in His time as they deserve. Now why is God working on behalf of Ruth and Boaz? Well, it's because they're the kind of people that God desires to bless. Can I just stop right here and say, am I? Are you? They are the kind of people that God desires to bless. Am I? Are you? I learned a very huge lesson here this morning. Please do not miss this this morning. Don't ask to be blessed. Be the kind of person God cannot help but bless. Don't ask to be blessed. Rather, be the kind of person God cannot help but bless. Now, what was it about these two that caused God to want to bless them both? Well, you remember Jesus said there are, uh, the two greatest commandments are these. Someone came to him and said, you know, who, what are the two greatest commandments? And Jesus said, uh, here are the two greatest commandments. Number one, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said, a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the whole Old Testament is summed up in those two commands. Now here's what you discover. When you look at Ruth and Boaz, you discover two people who are loving God and loving people. Ruth and Boaz were two people who were loving God and loving people. Now remember, Ruth is set during the time of the Judges. Remember the theme verse of the book of Judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's what was going on in Israel during this time of this story. 
Everyone was ignoring God, doing what was right in their own eyes. And you read through the book of Judges, and you see the horrible things that they were doing to one another. Now God pulls back the page on two individuals, and we find two people who are completely opposite to what's going on in Israel at this time. They are loving God and loving people, and God takes notice. God takes notice. One of my favorite quotes of all time comes from Robert Murray McShane. Robert Murray McShane was a tremendous pastor. He died when he was 29 years of age. He was such a godly man, he was called Saintly McShane. And hundreds of years after his death, his memoirs are still read and inspire people. And McShane one time said this, and it's one of the greatest quotes that I've ever read. He said, "Is not great talents God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe a life, I believe a church, I believe a Christian organization is not blessed because of the talents of those people. It is blessed because of great likeness to Jesus. Here we are a thousand years before Jesus ever came, and there are two people, Ruth and Boaz, who are like the Savior who was yet to come. Now let's look at this together this morning, because it is the burden of the chapter that we are studying as we come to chapter 2. Let's take a look at how these two individuals were loving God. And because they were loving God, they were loving people, and therefore God took notice, and He could not help but bless them. Let's look at Ruth first of all. Notice that the Bible tells us that Ruth was a woman who was united to the Lord by faith. Look again down at verse 12. And notice that Boaz says about Ruth, You have come under the wings of the Lord to take refuge underneath Him. Now, this is an expression, as you know, of saving faith. And it's very interesting. This very word is used over in chapter 3, verse 9, for uh, the word wings is used for the word skirt. And there, Ruth says to Boaz, I want you to take and and put the hem of your skirt over me. It was a request for marriage as we develop the story in chapter 3. So, now we have the same image. As a man is united to a woman in marriage, so when we come to place saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united spiritually to the Lord by faith. What this tells us is that Ruth is now a believer in the Lord, and he now dwells within her because they have been united in a spiritual relationship. She is a woman now who knows God, believes God, and loves Him. Look at Boaz. 
Boaz, we are told in this chapter, is a virtuous man with the Lord at the center of his life. Go back to chapter 2, verse 1. And notice what we're told about Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. That phrase, a man of standing, it means noble character. You know where else it is used? Proverbs 31. A virtuous wife who can find. It's the very same expression now. Now we ask ourselves, okay, why is this man such a man of noble character that he is like the virtuous wife that every man who is married wants to have for a partner? Look down at verse 4 again. These are the very first words we ever hear from Boaz. He arrives on the scene and he says, First things out of his mouth, The Lord be with you. Can somebody say to me, First impressions are lasting impressions, right? First impressions are lasting impressions. This man is a believer. But he's more than a believer. The Lord is at the very center of his life. And the first words out of his mouth show the commitment of his heart. And as we're going to see in the chapter, he's not one of these people always talking about the Lord, but never showing it. His words match what he really is. He is a virtuous man with the Lord at the center. Now because they have the right starting point, loving God as believers, it can now lead to loving people. And let's notice, first of all, Ruth. And the tremendous things that she reveals because... She now loves her neighbors at herself. Let's, let's just put the character qualities up here. And let me just go through them this morning one by one. First of all, she's industrious. Did you notice in verse 7, the foreman who is watching her work that morning says she went out into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. Are you surprised by this? She has just returned home, returned to Judah, 70 to 100 miles on foot, and she wastes no time after that week-long journey in getting to work. Now, this is what she knew. She knew that aliens, widows, and the poor were allowed to go into a field and they could glean, they could gather all the leftovers. And God had said in His Word, um, don't glean the corners of the fields. You leave that for the widows and the aliens and the poor. And Ruth understood this, and so she no more than gets home from that long, long journey and she's out there in the morning in the heat working scratching out the best living that she can. 
By the way, there's a famous painting called The Gleaners. And it visualizes what Ruth was doing that morning. The author, the artist of this painting, has done an exceptional job because these women in the foreground are very poor women. And you can see this is back-breaking, weary work in the heat. And she's not complaining about it at all, but she's doing it. Do you know what somebody has said this is like? This would be like trying to eke out a living by picking up aluminum cans and having them recycled. That's what this would be comparable to. And look at the industriousness of this woman. And why? Because she wants to provide for Naomi. Now notice that she's courageous. She is courageous. In verse 3, after asking permission to go, she goes out and begins to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Go back to the end of the book of Judges and you will discover there was a gang rape in Israel and a woman was left for dead after the gang rape and she ultimately died. That's how low the morals were in Israel at this time. Now Ruth is a woman without any protector. She has no husband. She has no father. Yet she's in a situation where she knows, if I do not go out and glean, we are going to starve. And so with tremendous courage, she goes out into a culture of low morals. Read the story at the end of the book of Judges, and then read your newspaper. And that's what was going on in her day. And yet in courage, she goes out to work on behalf of her mother-in-law. Notice she's respectful. Verse 2, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go over to the fields and pick up the leftover grain. That expression is a very polite request. Now you have a grown woman, and yet she so respects her mother-in-law's position that she asks her permission before she goes. Uh, Ruth believes in the fifth commandment, doesn't she? Honor your father and your mother. And then she's unselfish. Look down at verse 11. Boaz says, I've been told about all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. She left her own parents to care for her deceased husband's mother. This is now the first time in the story that we know that her mom and dad are still alive. Evidently, they had other siblings who could care for them. When Ruth left them, she probably would have never seen them again. And yet, she understands, my deceased husband's mother needs me more than them. So unselfishly, she leaves her own parents behind so that she can care for Naomi. Look at how thankful she is. Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground and, and she says to Boaz, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a, a foreigner? 
For someone in such difficult straits, she's thankful for whatever small acts of kindness are done to her. Did you notice that we have not seen one trace of bitterness, though she has every reason to be? Some folks are bitter. And when you talk to them about their bitterness, they say, I have every right to be bitter. I have every right to be bitter. If Ruth is not bitter over all that she's been through, how can I possibly say, I have the right to be bitter? She is not bitter. She's thankful. And then notice, she is very, very meek. Look at verse 13. She says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. The phrase there for servant girls is a female servant of the lowest rank. She uses the word for the most meager servant you could be in Israel. This is what we call modesty, people. She is self-effacing in a good way. Her inner spirit is meek. It is not demanding. And it is a reflection of the character of God that he had built into this woman. A few Sundays ago, I said Ruth was one of the greatest people in all the Bible. And and somebody came to me and said, jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, Pastor, are you sure you wanted to say that because she's a woman after all? And I know they said it tongue-in-cheek. But now you know why that was said. Now let's look at Boaz. Boaz, a believer who loves God with all of his heart, loves people too. Let me put his character qualities on the screen for you, and let's just look at them very quickly. Number one, he's unpretentious. Look at verse 4. He arrives with his workers. He says, the Lord be with you. And notice what they say. The Lord bless you. How many hear that kind of conversation amongst the boss and the employees? Notice how well he's greeted by his hired hands. They love this man. Later, as we'll see later, he even sits down with these harvesters that are working for him and he has lunch with them. This is a man who is not full of himself. He treats everyone as an equal. Notice he's kind. Verse 8, he calls Ruth my daughter. Same words that Naomi, her mother-in-law, uses for her. This was a kind address to a young woman that was both respectful and gracious. There's no condescension here. When he says, my daughter, he elevates this young woman who's quite a bit younger than him. And he is very gracious. And you will notice, she is so impressed with his kind speech. In verse 13, she says to him, you have spoken kindly to me. 
Notice he's generous. Up in verse 8, he, he says, uh, Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. So now what he does is he delivers her from picking up the scraps and he puts her right in line with his own gleaners that he was paying to work for him. He lets her also, in verse 9, drink from the water for his paid employees. Now understand this. In those fields, you had to bring out jugs of water for your workers for the day. And you're out there with the jugs of water that you have lugged out there. And now what does he do? He allows this woman to come and drink from their water supply, even though she is not one of his paid employees. Notice he's protective. Man, he says to them, don't you touch her. I know what other greedy landlords are like. I know when the poor, when the aliens come, I know that there's prejudice against them. And so they run them off. They, rape, they, they rough them up maybe. I know what's going on in Israel today. But he gives strict orders to his men. Verse 9, you do not harass her, nor do you become harsh. He knows she's a vulnerable woman with no husband or father to watch over her. And now he says, I'm going to watch over her. And then he's unprejudiced. Verse 10, she says, you, you treat me like this, though I'm a foreigner? You'll notice throughout the book, she's constantly referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. Look what he does. He transcends race. He transcends class. He transcends gender. And he treats her with dignity. By the way, do you notice in this story, in the whole book, not one word is ever said about her physical beauty? By the way, how do you think uh, Hollywood would handle this story? Ruth would be this knockout woman, you know, dressed to the hilt, you know, out in the field, and here comes, you know, Boaz, and he says, wow. Not one word is said about her physical beauty. It is all about the character that God has placed into her life because of her relationship to Him and now her love for others. And God, in His providence, has a descendant by the name of David and a greater descendant by the name of Jesus. And He brings these two people together because he wants to bless them, bless Israel, and bless us. What an incredible thing. This is the providence of God. As we close today, I want to draw just a few conclusions for our consideration. And I hope you will mark these down.
and live your life by them. Number one, you will never go wrong by loving God with all your being and your neighbor as yourself. In this generation, when standards are eroding and godliness is far from the minds of our culture, anyone who comes to know the Lord and decides, I'm going to live a life of loving God, and out of that, loving people will stand out. We will stand out just like Ruth and Boaz. The darker the day, people like this stand out. And we will never go wrong when we live this way. Second lesson. Take care of your character. And God will take care of your reputation with others. The last thing we as believers should be worried about is trying to somehow create a reputation. God has marked it down in His Word. If we take care of our inner character, He can be fully trusted in His providence, no matter what comes against us, to take care of our reputation with others. Number three, God sees how we treat others and He will treat us the very same way, giving or withholding blessing. This is a principle taught all throughout the Bible that what we dish out is what is dished back to us by the Lord Himself. So he will either withhold blessing from us because of the way we are treating others or he will send blessing to us because we are treating others in the way that he would have us to. It's clearly taught here in this chapter as elsewhere. Finally, number four. The beauty of Christ-like character will never go unrewarded. And we can count on it. God is no man's debtor. When our focus is that the beauty of Christ is more and more seen within us, God in His way, in His time, will reward a life that is lived in that way. And we can count on it. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord God of Israel. Let's bow together for just a moment our hearts and let's ask the Lord that we might be these people. Father, 
thank you for your tremendous divine providence. Thank you, Lord, that when we cannot see your hand, your hand is working nonetheless. And thank you that the eyes of the Lord won true and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to make himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are right towards him. And we thank you today, Lord, for this very simple lesson that is not great talents that God blesses, but it is great likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, for two individuals in a very dark world who nonetheless shone forth from the pages of Scripture and were used in such an incredible way that our own lives have been changed by their greatest descendant, the Lord Jesus. And we pray, O God, that you will help us to trust you, to live for you, to never give in to despair or bitterness, or to turn our backs upon you, but instead to allow all those things to deepen us, to make us richer and better people, that we might represent the great God who has called us. Thank you today for the incredible truth of your word. I speak, Lord, today and ask for some brother or sister here who is very discouraged in their life. And I ask that you would help them. Lift up their eyes to the truth. Help them to see your great promises to them. I pray, Lord, for other believers who are wasting their time, who have not grown hardly a lick spiritually in a long, long time, who have not developed the inner life in the way that God has called them to develop that life, and as a result, are not much of a light for you. O Father, from the pulpit to the pew today, call us to the essential things so that we may be in the place of your greatest blessing. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said together,